0: Hello and welcome back to LP Talks. For our fifth episode, we have something slightly different. We have host Dan Chapman talking to the author of The Norfolk Regiment on the Western Front, Steve Smith. Today, they talk about Steve's newly released book and Bernard Henry Lees Pryor, who is son of Mr. Lees Pryor himself. I hope you enjoy. Over to you, Dan.
1: Steve. Welcome to LP Talks. Thank you very much for joining us. And We've got something a little bit different today. Um, Our guest, Steve, is uh, an ex RAF man, ex police, um, a battlefield guide, which I'm going to be asking you about. And the real reason you're here is published author, uh, the book, which I can highly recommend, The Norfolk Regiment on the Western Front has recently been released, which has some real meaning for us here at Leaves Fire. Steve, I hope that's an accurate summary of your life today. Yes, that's just about life. <laughs> um, thank you very much. Could, could you just tell us a little bit about your um, military career, first of all, and, and then we'll move on to your, your book? Okay, so I joined the
2: Royal Air Force in 1985 um, and served for 18 years in the Royal Air Force Police. Um, as a dog handler, funny enough, but I also did what we call the station police duties as well. Um, but then I left in 2003, and by 04, I joined Norfolk Constabulary, served as a, as a response officer, and then moved into the training world, where I became what's known as a learning development officer, which is basically, if you ever want to know how you develop a probationer as a police officer, that was my job, to get them through that, the, the two years of their probationary period, to then sign them
1: off as a confirmed police officer. And then I retired in March of this year. And where, alongside all of that, did this interest in in, um, military history, and in particular, I believe, your your battlefield guide, if that's the the correct term. Tell us a bit about about that. I mean,
2: that stems right back to age of 13, being taken across to to France, um, where my dad effectively put me and my mum and my brother into a car to find um, a memorial on Mm. the Somme, and he got horrendously lost, bless him. (laughs) No sat-nav in those days, as you can imagine. But eventually you find the memorial, and um, it was just a name on a wall, and it was F. Smith. Well, that was my great-grandfather, who served in the 7th and 8th Battalion Buffs, the the East Kent Regiment, and was killed in March of 1918. And as a kid, 13 years old, it was like, well, is that it? And and that kind of stemmed my interest. But then from that, um, I qualified as a battlefield guide in 2004, um, the same time that I joined the police and I'd worked actually between that time uh, in the Air Force to do a little bit of resettlement and part of that was to qualify as a guide. So since 2004, I've been taking groups across mm-hmm. to both the First and Second World War sites okay. um, and that includes is, is stu- uh, students, so you know kids of about 14, 15 years old. I'm employed by a company called Adaptable Travel that are basically any school group that you, you know you tour that you want to do they will do and they have yeah. an element to do with the, the battlefield side of things but i also guide adult groups as well so that that has been um i've taken across just one person who was an author that wanted to look at sites on the on the, the western front predominantly and groups up to 60
1: i've taken across for and, and, I, I and I believe particular families that might want to understand the history of, of their ancestors, yeah. you, you, you will take them on, on tours. Yeah. So
2: basically, that, that, the way that I look at that is that um, if somebody wants to see where a relative served, I will research that yeah. and then take them across. And I can literally get people down to standing in fields saying this was a trench, this was a position. Yeah. Um, and that's my job, to show them um, where, where they served, and it 's what I think I said to you earlier wasn 't it
1: it 's what an old gentleman once said to me about putting the meat on the bones yeah. of the story basically. and um, what you 've done in your book, I think very cleverly, using modern technology um, there 's an app called What Free Words, yeah. which <laughs> basically divides the entire world up into, sure. into square meters yeah. i believe yeah and, and, and you use that so people can actually pinpoint you. Yeah to the meter almost, uh, the, the locations, which is, is yeah. fascinating. So, turning to your book, which which um, has just been released, The Norfolk Regiment on, on the Western Front, just tell us what what inspired you to write the book, what does the book cover, um, what, what, yeah. what's it all about? So I got here in
2: 98, in the Air Force, served at RF Coltishall and um, you, you, you form that bond and link, don't you, with a county that you live in. But as I was guiding, um, you would go to cemeteries and of course you just connect with with the different regiments so norfolk regiment would pop up all the time and of course as i moved on i'm i started to show people where they served um and it got to a point about four years ago that i thought to myself well i can i think what i'm going to do is actually write a book about it they've got a history so there is an original history written um, which is available. But the thing that I always thought about that history is that there were certain things that were missing in it. Yeah. Um, and the reason for that being generally is because they were using just the war diaries. And the, because of that, you, you, you can get a, just limited information. So I felt that what I was going to do is write a new new history. Yeah. And based on that, it's based on the fact that i visited every site that they've served on um, had access to records in the Royal Norfolk Regiment Museum and also the people of Norfolk were excellent yeah. because of the amount of people that when I... Funny enough, just by social media saying, I'm writing this book, can anybody help? They were brilliant and they just sent me so many accounts. Um, oh, no. And then obviously things like finding Lee's prized memoirs within the 9th Battalion War Diary, that's like gold dust, finding yeah. something like that. Yeah, so that it was just to, to put it all together into a book that would not just tell you about where they served and what happened to them, but things like What Free Words. If you want to go to a site, yeah. then use this app to get you to that place and then you can stand in the site yourself, knowing perhaps that's where your relative served.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. you mentioned uh, Leeds pile there, so I'll, I'll ask you about that because, yeah. of course, the, the real reason we've um, invited you along and you've kindly... Uh, Come to talk to us is because um, Bernard Henry Leaves um is a key part of your book. Very much so, um, a really key part of your book, and, and and for us that's absolutely fascinating. He was the son of the founder of the firm, Leaves He was the, the, the senior partner of this firm for many many years. Um, so I want to ask you um, a bit about a bit about him. So how did you first stumble across? Um, Bernard Henry Leeds' fire, and, and, and where did that then take you in terms of looking at his, his role in the First World War? So, every um, battalion that served on the Western Front wrote a war diary,
2: and it was a very matter of fact daily occurrence of what went on with the battalion. And within that, you would find lots of appendices and documents that, that might just be orders or um, even requests for you know, ammunition. But within the 9th Battalion War Diary was his memoirs. Um, so it's 54 pages of him basically writing about his time, um, from the time that he goes to the Western Front in August of 1916 to the time that, having been wounded in March of 1918, um, when he goes back to the Front in June of that year, he recognises in himself that he's no longer fit. Um, physically to serve because of his injuries, because yeah. he was wounded in March of 1918. So when you find accounts like that, um, it, it is, like I said, gold dust, because that is, is com- it's not just talking about a matter-of-fact thing, it's yeah. this person writing about their experiences. Yeah. And also, his memoirs and other diaries that I found help to basically back up Exactly what you, you're, you're reading, um, so that you can definitely state
1: that those um, those things occurred. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. So, just want to take it back to, to 1916. We know he was he was a solicitor. He's working at, at, at the law firm. As far as you're aware, how, how would he have ended up in France serving on the Western Front? Is that something he would have volunteered to do? Was he forced to do it? Was it his choice? <laughs> How would
2: that have played out, do you yeah. think? So he'd been instrumental in raising and forming the 6th Battalion cyclists, um, Norfolk Regiment, which was a territorial force um, battalion. Prior to that, he'd served in the 2nd Battalion Norfolk Regiment as a regular and had served in South Africa. When war broke out, um, the 6th Battalion were called up effectively and they, uh, they spent all their time in home service... ...defending various parts of of the UK. But then all of his men were sent to the front um, in June of 1916... ...but eventually they uh, were sent to the 1st and 8th Battalion Norfolk Regiment... ...to make up for losses that they'd incurred on the Somme. Mm -hmm. He's left behind. Um, He wants to go to the front. So what he basically does is, is somebody does him a favour... Favour. So, yeah, but, yeah. He kind of, it's kind of in. If you read it, 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 there's somebody that he knows that basically signs a form
1: that allows him to go to the Western Front. So he's that keen to get yeah. to, to the front of the action. Yeah. He's almost trying to pull in a favour so yeah. he can go. Yeah, he wants command. He wanted a command.
2: That's the base. You, you wow. get that with, within the the writing. When he gets there, he spends a little bit of time with the 7th Battalion, Norfolk Regiment, at a place called Ovia, where they, they, they've, that's their sort of blooding on the Somme. They, they kind of um, fight around that area. So he gets to see what the trenches are like, um, but is then told, you're going to be given command of the 9th Battalion. So he, he kind of turns up um, to face his general. who's not overly pleased that a territorial force... Officer has turned up in a regular sort of division, and um, a, I don't think you should be commanding a, a, a you know a regular battalion of the Norfolk Regiment. Yeah, but he's very, very kind of. Um, he's not having it. He's basically he explains to him that he's here, uh, that he had served as a regular in the South African campaign,
1: um, and the general relents and allows him to take over the the 9th okay. battalion. And so. I think you mentioned he was there until he he, he becomes injured. We'll come on yeah. to that in a moment. It's 2018, but just from my understanding, does that mean he's actually physically out in France for the best part of two years, or are they, do they go back and forth, come home, or would he have been away for for two years?
2: No, they would have had um, they would have had leave. Um, so there was um, you know the periods of time where where you might find that you were sent back to to, take some leave and that's one of those myths about the first world war that once you were there you didn't go back to the uk but i think what you can find with with him is the fact that from pretty much the time that he goes there when he's given command um there's a pretty much continuous active service because his first action is at a place called guida on the somme in october of 1916 where, having reconnoitred the position that he needs to take, um, the 9th Battalion are instrumental in taking part of the German line and holding it, mm-hmm. uh, a place called Mile Trench. But then moving into 1917, he spends a lot of time around um, the Loos area, which is. Um, if people know the history of the First World War, what what that is 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 a a, a flat mining area yeah. in France, in northern France, very near to a place called Lens, um, and they spend a lot of time at Hill Seventy, on in the Loos sector, and he he helps with the um, the Canadians who um, launch offensives later on in in 1917, but then um, one of the greatest actions which i i have always found fascinating certainly for for um not just the ninth battalion but as a whole is Combrai, which is the tank battle so basically we've used tanks on the somme in 1916
1: yeah
2: and we've used them also in uh, epa wipers as people might know in july through to sort of july october time where they don't work very well there because it's the ground isn't favorable for them but they there's a bit of a gamble at the end of um, 1917 when they put all the tanks into one pot, effectively, right. in an area that's better suited for them. And it's a sweeping victory. We basically smash through the Hindenburg line. We basically right. um, put the Germans on the back foot. And and he was he takes part in an action around Rivercourt where um, he basically, him along with the Leicestershires, take Ribicor, they captured the positions, they've been trained with tanks, yeah. they even beat the tanks to it, right. so that the tanks didn't even get to Ribicor before they do. Yeah. Um, so that's an amazing victory. Sadly, on the 30th of uh, November, the Germans launch a counter-offensive mm-hmm. and take back pretty much everything we've captured, um, but he's now in a position called Ninewood, which um, is not that. It's a bit further on from Ribicor, and helps to hold off the German advance for as long as it takes to get mm. other units out. So that's a really interesting time for him. And then, of course, when we talk about the, the wounding for him... Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah. What, what,
1: what, what do you know about that?
2: So after Cambrai, the line settles, and, of course, it's winter time. so you, you get that period of time where they, you know, the line always tended to settle in the winter. But then, of course, the, in the spring... You know, both sides would be looking for uh, an offensive right. and the Germans beat us to it effectively by launching what's known as Kaiserschlacht, which was Kaiser's battle. Yeah. And it's their last offensive of the First World War and it is a bit of a gamble because they've got, the, the Russian front for instance has capitulated they've yeah. got more men
1: yeah.
2: be- and because of that and because of um, various sort of tactics that they use, things like um, use of artillery, use of what became known as Storm Troops. Yeah. They managed to attack us on the 21st of March 1918 and start to push us back again. His battalion at the time is at a place called Langley Court, um, very close to the Somme area again, not that far from where he fought in 1916. And again, the 9th Battalion are in the thick of it, a, a fight a massive rearguard action to try to again stem the German tide, which they do, but they have to fight what's known as a fighting retreat. So they're continually sort of fighting, moving back, moving back. And within that action, he was shot. I think if I remember rightly, he takes a couple of rounds, but he has to be carried out by um, fellow officers and and some of his men, and basically is stretched out and then back to the UK to recover
1: from those wounds. And so, I mean, he must have seen some some awful things. Do you have any any um, idea of, of the sort of amount of colleagues that that he lost during during his time in the war? Yeah, he mentions it in the
2: memoirs. Um, the in that action, for instance, if, if I remember rightly, about four officers come out of that. That's not necessarily killed, but the yeah. casualty rate for that particular battle, for instance. He loses a lot of his command structure just in that rearguard action. Yeah. So, he loses a heck of a lot of, of friends. I would suggest because some of the some of the, the, the when he talks about some of the officers and men that he he commands, he's got a great affection for them.
1: Yeah. Very much so. So he's 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 shocked. He comes back to United Kingdom. You, you, Perhaps he came back to work being a League Fire mm. person. I'm, I'm sure he did. Um, you, you'd think he'd have had enough of, of, of the war, but it, it would appear he tries to go back. Yeah. So Tell he us goes, about
2: that. goes back in June, um, and by that time, the, the 9th Battalion are now um, back in Flanders, yeah. and they're very near a place called Kemmel. Um, yeah. And when he goes back to the front, they're in trenches again, mm. as you can imagine. He starts to just notice that for instance this old wound is causing him problems yeah. and i think he recognizes in himself that he's perhaps not fit enough to serve in a in a frontline unit and so a medical board basically agrees with him and they say right i think that's basically your, the end yeah. of your time so his his connection with the telling kind of ends there yeah. and that's how his
1: memoirs kind of ends it's very much like well that was my time and yeah. You know, that was, yeah, yeah. And, and, and we know from, from our records that he, he's then certainly full-time solicitor and partner here. He's also um, clerk to the trustees of, mm. of, of, of the Great Hospital, um, and it would appear he sort of just, just in just sort of slips back into to, to, to business life, yes. mm. um, which is you know is, is truly remarkable. Um, well, Steve, thank you so much for, for, for coming in and, and talking to us about this. We're going to learn a lot more, um, I think, with your help, with your book, and you've been kind enough to send us lots of photos and, and, and information, which is it's brilliant. It's lovely for us to learn a little bit more about our history. Um, so thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, thank you very much.
0: That was great. I really enjoyed that and I hope you did too. At Lees Pryor, we're truly proud of our history. It was such an honour to have Steve Smith in our offices today to tell us a bit more about Bernard Henry Lees Pryor and his newly released book, The Norfolk Regiment on the Western Front. It is especially relevant to this time of year when we remember the bravery of our armed forces. Thanks for listening and we'll see you on the next episode of LP Talks. Have a great day.